Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. Wow. That's good. I think I'm going to go to BSSM. It's amazing. Metal disappearing. We're going to see that more and more. Yes. People come to Cleveland Clinic from all over the world, and they'll probably never make it there because the Lord will arrest them with his power. That'll be a good thing. Hey, turn with me, if you could, to Ephesians. I know. That's the way I feel sometimes. We're going we're gonna to look. I have, I have 21 minutes. We're going to go through Ephesians 2, 3, and 4. As I, as I mentioned last week, I'm talking about, I'm talking about this right here, nomads to builders. I really do feel we're in a season. Obviously, that's a template over all of our lives. We start out wandering. We end up planting, typically. I mean, even in American culture, however it works now, used to be, you know, you grew up and somewhere in your 20s, early 30s, somewhere around there, you meet someone, you get married, you buy a house, it's the American dream, white picket fence, you know, all that stuff. You, uh, you save for retirement, you go on little vacations, you camp, whatever you do. I mean, and you, you feel the transition in your life of this nomad, the ramblings of life. But once you find somebody, once your life is fixed upon someone, it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody, but it's kind of how it works a lot of times. You move toward a, a greater stability. By the way, that stability is not easy to do sometimes. You know, if you, depending on how long you were single and you've wandered around, you've done your thing, you're building your career, whatever it might be, and then you meet someone that you cannot live without. And when that happens, I did 44 years ago, but when you do that, you become planted. But it's an interesting, you know, I didn't get to touch this last week, but the planting of the Lord in Isaiah 61, it says that the beauty for us is joy for mourning, garment of praise, spirit of heaviness, that we may become the, that we are the planting of the Lord, that we are rooted in him. But it's funny, then the metaphor shifts, or the analogy, it shifts, and from, we go from being planted to those who are affecting cities and building cities, to those that are leaving legacy to generations of people that are known as the posterity of the Lord. I mean, it's, it's this amazing generational blessing that comes through Jesus Christ into our lives. So we're planted, but we're movable gardens. We're planted in the Lord, but that planting moves and transforms Everywhere it goes, some reason that sounds like transformation to me, but just do that right now. Are you ready? Good. It feels like transformation, doesn't it? I don't know why, but it does. So anyway, you go around and you are planting of the Lord and you are creating immense gardens of the Lord, his kingdom, his way, his means. And we're all learning that. The American church, honestly, has got a little bit off track in some areas. I'm sure we have too. I mean, we're part of the American church. But we, we look to various things, but God calls us back to the love line of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, though, God has immense intention 
and dream for the church of Jesus Christ. It's his bride. He will marry her, and she will be without spot or wrinkle. She will be washed in the blood of Jesus. She will also be washed in the word of God, which the Bible says, the washings of the word of God that continually cleanses the soul of man and women, men and women across the world, you know. And so we all get it even right now as we're sharing the word of God. If you receive in faith, there's washing going on in your life. You are being transformed. You are being conformed into the dream that Jesus has for the church. And I know that he has a dream for you, but let's just separate ourselves from that. That is a very American concept that it's all about me. <laughs> it really is. I mean, you take a picture, it's a selfie. You know, we're all about ourselves. We have our own pages. We have our own friends. We have our own style of how we dress. And yeah, you dress that way, but I dress this way because this is who I am, you know. And we create brands that really are not. But anyway, you know, it's there. And we, we try to look the part and be the part and whatever. We're achieving, and we, we spend so much time on that. But the Lord, remember the Lord delivered us out of complexity into simplicity. Even this week, I talked about it on, on social media. I just said, look, I mean, by the time Jesus arrived, I use this all the time, but I love it. <laughs> by the time Jesus arrived, good, faithful Jews had taken 10 commandments and made them into 613. I mean, you can only walk about 150 feet on the, uh, on, on the Sabbath. And so what Jews would do is they, they, they worked the system. And so the day before, if they knew they had to go on a journey, they would go and leave a garment of clothing wherever it was that the limit, outer limit was, so that restart starts their distance, and they can go another 150, 200 feet to the next place, and they could actually end up in the next village. You lose a lot of your closet doing that, but you could do it. It was necessary. So they're having to learn to live by the law, and it was arduous, it was difficult, it was challenging. Jesus comes along, and people are, are burdened by it. Their heads are down. The weights are upon the yoke is upon their shoulders. And the Pharisees trying to trick up Jesus, say, what's the greatest commandment, you know? And Jesus says, well, there's two. They've been living under 613 laws. Jesus says, there's two. And they're like, two? I like this guy. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He's talking about his teaching. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Follow me. I mean, who wouldn't? You're going to follow a Pharisee that's like 613. Whoosh, whoosh. Or Jesus is like, follow me, two. <laughs> now, the problem is, if you read those two? Love the Lord to God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Check. And the second is like unto the first. In other words, they're twins. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's a little bit of self in there. It's joy. We always learned this back in the 70s. Jesus, others, yourself. <laughs> the perfect life, joy. Jesus, others, yourself. J-O-Y. Jesus, other, well, that is kind of tied into those two commandments. But that is the burden of the Lord. Love God, love people. You say, but yeah, but he, not the people that I'm with. Oh yeah, he had that exactly in mind, you know. And so he's taken this broken, distraught, nomadic church of people that are roaming around looking for love in all the wrong places and, and bringing them to a place of defining who they are. 
and defining them not just as an individual, but as a group. God loves tribes. God loves groups. He loves nations. I mean, he loves individuals, of course. He knows the hair, the number of the hair on your head. But biblically, when he talks about the church, he's, in, he's, he's addressing groups of people, all of the epistles except a couple. Almost all the epistles are written to churches. And churches were not some ethereal group that hung out somewhere and occasionally kind of crossed one another. Oh, you're part of the church too. No, it was a, it was a group of people that actually was structured. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Had structures, had primary and secondary leaders in that church. Cared for people, so they had organization. They shepherded them. They met regularly. They took up offerings, a lot of them to help other people in other churches. They laid out conduct rules. In fact, in the first century, there's a little book called the uh, Didache. The Didache was this, uh, like a, uh, it was like the um, guide for church life. It actually even had what to pay someone when they came in to speak at your church. I mean, it was very detailed. That was in the first century. So very quickly, there was organization that was bringing together. They took up offerings, conduct rules. Of course, the epistles, a lot of the epistles are rules of engagement, rules of conduct. And they were the spiritual ecclesia. They had teaching, by the way, but they were the spiritual ecclesia. They were the called out ones. As you know, ecclesia is not a church term. It was a secular civic term in society for gathering of people for a specific purpose to solve problems. The ecclesia, the called out ones. That's what it means in the Greek. And Jesus, of all the words that he could pick, he picked that and said, I will build an ecclesia, a church. Now we've made it religious and sacred and, you know, it's divided from the secular, the sacred and all that. And so we've created this kind of monster on the side that looks something very different possibly than what Jesus even thought about. But I do believe that the essence of what Jesus spoke is in this place right now, 2,000 years later. And then we come together in synagogue fashion because that's what Jesus was used to. When he came on the scene, he didn't despise the church that he was a part of. He didn't run away from it. In fact, he went to the temple as often as he was in Jerusalem. And when he was out locally in his village, he went to the synagogue, which is kind of like an outpost of the temple. And in the synagogue, typically, there was a lot of reading of scripture and hanging out together. Very little singing. Most singing in those days was just vocal without any instrumental backdrop. So it was very simple. It was worship of the Lord. Even by the time of Paul, there were notable hymns that are actually recorded in Scripture that they sang many times, some of them in Ephesians. So there were certain things they memorized and sang. Mainly, they were creed-like about what happened to Jesus, that he, was, he lived a life, he died on the cross, he rose again, and we are raised up with him. So in Ephesians, Paul begins to talk about this. And you know, I've talked to you about Ephesians. First three chapters are very mystical. Second three, and this is generally speaking. First three chapters are very mystical. Second three are very practical in life experience. But he infuses a seed and lets people know that his intent is about the church corporate. Say, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. Just tell them that. It's the church. It's the ecclesia. You're a part of something that's bigger than you. 
Yes, you know, this church is not about me trying to figure out a way to make you wealthy and make you happy or whatever it might be. I mean, I hope that's a byproduct of being here, but actually this church is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we can reveal Jesus to you in every way and you understand Jesus and you know Jesus, if you ever get separated from your church body and you're stranded on a lonely island somewhere or there's a a zombie apocalypse that comes and you can't find your Christian buddy, you can't go to your prayer group, or there's a pandemic that comes and you're not able to get out during a certain season, that you'll not cuddle up in your basement surrounded by a wall of beans. <laughs> but you will be a force in the midst of it because you're a part of the ecclesia. Jesus said, I'll build an ecclesia, boys. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, that sounds like a strong, that doesn't sound like, I don't know, as I sip my cappuccino, I don't know, it seems so big and it's just scary out there. And, you know, what if I get rejected? No, he shows, I will build a church the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever they bind on earth will be bound in heaven. That's huge authority. Whatever they loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I like that. I'm like, man, I want to be a part of that church, and I believe I am. But we're in a time right now where churches are being bashed left and right. It's uncool now. I'm like the uncoolest guy there is. You know, I'm a... I'm a, I'm a Christian white old guy. I mean, they're despised right now. I can feel it when I go out in public, you know. So what am I going to do? Am I going to cower somewhere and just say, well, it's over. My time has passed. I contributed to my generation. Or am I going to be attentive to the dream of Jesus? Yeah, I love what Stacy was saying a few minutes ago. You know, you save for your retirement and I'm still saving for my retirement. You stay save for your retirement. You put a few pennies away each month, you know, and hope that those charts you saw when you were in your 20s work out. And by the time you're 65, you know, you're gonna you're gonna be living in Malibu or something. I don't know, but you you I mean there there is true science to that. And so you you do those things, but that is not the ultimate goal of living on planet Earth. I'm telling you. I've talked to enough people that are already there way before that time, and there's a fulfillment. It's like cotton candy. I mean, it's a sense of, I love it. I love being at the fair. I love cotton candy, but at the end of the day, you get pretty hungry, and the cotton candy does not carry you through. And it sticks to your teeth and rots them. So I need some meat. I need substance. I need to fill the void, Christopher, that's deep inside of me. I need to be full. See, there's a fullness that God calls the church to. Your true vision. I mean, you can do all that stuff. You can marry that beautiful, I was going to say beautiful man, marry that lovely man, the beautiful woman, whatever it might be. You get married, you, you have children. It's, that's, that's, a, that's a joy to do it. Actually, it's, it's, it's only been in the way that we have it now for less than 100 years. All throughout history, it was all about survival, living for tomorrow. I mean, there wasn't people that woke up in the 16th centuries and said, you know what, I want to be a pharmacist. They just didn't do that. They did whatever their parents did. If mom cooked, I cooked. 
If dead farm, die farm, that was it. Only in about the past 100 years have we had this thing called dreaming and, and planning about our lives. What's my Enneagram? What's my, what's my disc? And I'm a nine with a wing that's, a, that's an eight, you know. And was that where I say it? Nine, wing, eight, yeah. something like that? Yeah. I'd like, I've already adjusted mine. I pick what I want to be yeah. on the Enneagram. It doesn't matter what I really am. I, I want to be a peacemaker, a nine, you know, but I'm an eight. So what do I do? I just put the wings, all wings, in the nine. <laughs> and say, I'm a, I'm a dynamic, rude, interrupter of people, making certain demands, but I'm a peacemaker over here on the nine. And if you don't know what Enneagram is, bless your heart. So we look in Ephesians here, because this starts rolling, and I'm going to roll really fast here, because I'm down to six minutes now. Ephesians 2 says this in verse 1, and he made alive you who were dead. Now, remember, I use the scripture a lot. I love this passage. I love Ephesians because it's so life-giving. But it says, he, speaking of Jesus, made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin and in which you once walked according to the course of this world. In other words, you were, you were nomadic. You were walking in a direction that was hellish. It's destination. The wages of sin is death. Its pay was death. Its destination was darkness. It was a broad way that led to destruction. But because of Jesus Christ, so we read on, it says that you, according to the prince of the power, the heir, the spirit, who now works in sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh and the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just like the others. That's exhausting. But then you go to the next verse. I love this. But God. There's a but God in every one of your lives. <laughs> if you come to Jesus Christ, that was your life. But God, who is rich in mercy. Look at verse four. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. Look at this. There's a little theme here. I want to see. This is a test. I want to see if you can catch this. We were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Who is he talking about? We find out later on. He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6. Raised us up together. Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Oh, I like that. I'm with somebody. Oh, you're with a bunch of somebodies. The cloud of witnesses. All believers, all saints throughout history, they are cheering on you right now. They're called the cloud of witnesses in the book of Hebrews. You are a part of that great cloud of witnesses and you will be standing beside them someday when you uh, come into your eternal reward. But it says, he made us alive together. He raised us up together. He made us sit together which is a place of authority and ruling in heavenly places. Why, 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 why would God do that? Why was Jesus' death so important? Because he was raising something up together, getting them out of something in order to seat them somewhere else. And then what's he say? What's, what's his dream? Is we just to hang out and, you know, eat cotton candy or whatever? It says, verse 7, it says that the ages in the ages to come. Actually, we're in that place right now. We're in those ages to come. In the ages to come, he might show, which means something proven and undeniable, 
show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. I like that. God raised us up, sat us down together that he might show to us together his kindness and his love toward us. Why? He's loving on us. He's, he's uh, what they used to say, courting us. We're his bride. It says for his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, for by grace you've been saved, verse 8, through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not, not of works, lest you would boast. Look at his intentions here at the at second part of verse 9. For we, there it is again, it's not us, it's we, not you, but we, are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's why we volunteer during this month, because we practice good works in the church so that it naturally becomes a habit for us outside the church. We serve in the church to learn, to grow, to love, so that we can be extraordinary servants outside the church. This is your workmanship, which God created beforehand, that we should walk in. Why is, it, why is the, the, the pronoun always us and we? Us and we. Why is it not you, 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 you? Us, we, us, we, us, we. That, that, at the time you were, you were without Christ. So see, you is separate from we. You is alone. We is together. So at that time, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers, I read this last week, from the covenants and promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. He made us alive. He gave us a promise of kind demonstration toward us. Toward us. We were being crafted to walk out good works. See, did you know that good works, even in a local church, good works, is a part of you fulfilling the intentions of Christ for your life? And I had three people said, amen, one's my wife. <laughs> it's true. It's true. He's calling us together. His intention is ecclesia, but can something much bigger than what we think. And it says, it says here, let me get, let me get to it here because I'm, Getting low on time here, but it says, look at verse 19. Therefore, you're no longer strangers, no longer foreigners, no longer fellow citizens. Oh, but fellow citizens with the saints. So fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here's what I have to say. Get, you know, let's get over our stuff. Let's join a club here. Let's form a tribe Let's become a voice for the Lord in this region. Amen. I love this. In verse 20, it says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the whole building, verse 21, being fitted together, 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 grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's why we prolong worship today, because we're being fitted together as we are building a dwelling place of God in our midst. Now, Ephesians 3, jump Ephesians 3, because I'm 54 seconds over. <laughs> Ephesians 3, verse 9 says this. This is all, this is like a, this is a birthing, this is a blossoming, this is a seed that you plant. It's a seminal moment that quickly grows into something big called the ecclesia. 
And the ecclesia is not weak, it is strong. We are meant to be strong, Bethel Cleveland, as a representation of the ecclesia along with many other churches in the city. So in verse 9, he starts to unpack the understanding again to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. So why, why were we called together? Why were we created? Why were we transformed? Why have we been molded and welded and fit together in Christ Jesus to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery? Which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. To the, verse 10, to the intent. So this is the intention, Jay, of what Jesus wanted to do, what God had in his mind, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God. <laughs> what does that even mean? In other words, solutions for difficult, challenging problems are going to be led by the people of the two than the people of the 613. The two will lead because their minds are not cluttered. The two will lead because they have direct access into the manifold wisdom of God that it might be made known. Who's going to do that? Who's going to make known the manifold wisdom of God? It said that it might be make, make known by the church. Woo! You are a conduit. This is the intention of the Lord. You are a conduit for the manifold wisdom of God. I feel that manifold wisdom of God. You walk into the office tomorrow. You go into your factory. Watching your kids in the park. Manifold wisdom of God, the church, to the, okay, who are we making it known to? The principalities, powers in heavenly places. Did you know that there are rulers in the world that are not godly? Y'all learn that, right? These are rulers and principalities. Some of them are just humans. Some of them are infused by evil entities. Right now, the Taliban, which is evil. The Taliban is about to take over Kabul. What took 20 years for the greatest power in the world to bring into order and pull together called Afghanistan? 20 years, billions of dollars in treasure. Blood from our soldiers that went over there to fight. In seven days, the Taliban took it over. This is a demonized force that does not treat women well, does not honor human rights, directly opposes and does ruthless acts of blood toward people. And we're about to see uh, a, an incredible bloodbath in Afghanistan, if we do not get a hold of the presence of the Lord and begin to cry out, the church is responsible for these things in prayer and by actions that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might know the manifold wisdom of God through the church, not through President Biden. God bless his heart. 
So what we do here, the butterfly effect, what we do here has effect in other countries, has effect around the world. If you can go there, that's great. I got a friend on, their way, on his way to Pakistan right now. He texted me this morning, asked me to pray because of all this stuff that's going on right now. So the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to principalities, powers, and heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Where is that bold, confident church that God's called us to be? I was thinking this week of St. Patrick. You know, I have 30 books on on the Celts and St. Patrick. I, I just love the whole story. I love the fifth century and what happened. He was born in the fifth century and, and he was born actually in the fourth century, lived in the fifth century. And uh, uh, you know the story. He was held captive for six, six to seven years in Ireland, which was a, a raging nation of terror in the fifth century. They were the sex traffickers of the day. Uh, they were brutal. They uh, had slaves. They, they believed in, do you know St. Patrick is the first known person to speak out against slavery? St. Patrick. He went into, after being supernaturally released and became a priest, actually a bishop, goes back into Ireland, the place of his captivity. And here's what he did in 28 years. Threes were magical for the culture of the Celts. So St. Patrick, being in the manifold wisdom of God, goes into this <laughs> terrifying group of people that they believe they were tormented with, they were so demonized the Irish, that they were tormented by, by night dreams, night terrors, and they were known to wake up screaming in the night. It was known among that they were just, they were, it, was a, it was a demonized nation that dealt with all things wrong. And St. Patrick, a saint, comes in there with the manifold wisdom of God. By the way, over 28 years, uh, they, they believe that he brought over 100,000 people to the Lord in a country that did not have roads just villages scattered all across the edges. Threes were magical, so St. Patrick comes in, and let me tell you about some magic here. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He would go to the places where they sacrificed children, and he would pull out bread and wine. He said, Jesus said, this is my body. I mean, they knew sacrifice. They had done it right there. You talk about a guy who goes to the gates of hell, and he pulls out communion, the Eucharist, and speaks to them this. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. He entered into their warped beliefs, brought the kingdom of God, and boom, they believed. And a revival started sweeping around that country over a 28-year period. They valued the edges of life, so they would pray on the edge of cliffs, 1,000-foot drop into the ocean. They said, when you walk on the edges... You feel closer to God. And I thought, you are closer to God. <laughs> One step to the right, you're there. But that feeling you get, you know, when, you, when you're on the edges, they saw that as a thin place. And they said, somehow I feel closer to God. So Christians adopted it. They began to walk on the edges. Imagine doing that in children's ministry. Today, kids, we're going to go walk down the median strip in the freeway. Parents will love it. No, we don't do that. We're not going to do that. They did that, though. So he entered into the stuff. They were edgy people. He believed in belonging, then believing. He actually would make people greeters in his church that were far from God. 
I just believe that give them a role. Somehow they're going to come to know Jesus, and they did. He treasured, they treasured nature so, and, and food, but they treasured, they worshiped nature. And so they become some of the greatest environmental folks that emerged in the world. And they, had so, they were so attached to nature that even Calumbanus, uh, Calumbanus, Calumbanus, I'm sorry, Calumbanus, I should know this. Calumbanus, who was a, like a spiritual son of Patrick, when he was out on his missional trips, he said otters brought him salmon every day to eat because they communed. And, and that carried right over to St. Francis who took on the, uh, the same spirit, the same desire when he had great control over nature because everywhere he went, animals loved him, even wolves that were terrorizing communities. So he, he entered into that. He stopped human traffic. He confronted kings. Amazing. He wrote letters that said, may you burn in hell if you do not let these virgin women free. Because the northern Europeans would come knowing when their baptisms were and would steal all the men and women right out of baptism waters. And he was enraged. It was human trafficking. And he stood against it. He wrote them letters. And I've read the letters. <laughs> they, were, they were scathing. He had no fear to confront kings and say, you let these women go or you will burn in hell. And they let him go. He had great authority, because, not because he was, a, he was a powerful man, but because the very manifold wisdom of God was on him. He stopped child sacrifice. He planted 700 churches and raised up 1,000 priests in 28 years in ancient times. This is an example of what the church could be. Let's all stand together if we could. So as we enter in toward this 25th anniversary, uh, come on up, Jake. Uh, I feel it's a pivot moment. Yeah, I'm not leaving. It's not like that. Uh, some of you may think I'll shoot. Yeah, I'm not retiring. <laughs> I'm pivoting. I feel that what we've done is going to be sealed. It is awesome. And we'll do a lot of the same things going into the next 25 years. But you're going to see something, I think, over these next years. I mean, if I, if I stay here 25 more years, I'm going to be old. <laughs> I'll be 90. I'll be 90. I'll still be in the front row, though. Yeah. Listen, the music's too loud. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it down. <laughs> it's your hearing aid, Pastor Steve. Actually, it's just your ears. So what are we going to be? We want to be somebody. If we're moving into this season of time that is so mixed and jumbled and kind of scary at times, the church has got to prevail in the midst of this. Let me tell you something. I believe we're in a democracy and it's important to vote. But actually, it's not even about who gets elected. I think that's great. We want to get the right people elected. Don't, don't jump on me about that. I really don't want to get into it. But there's a greater force in the church than even in the voting ballot. Do your civil do, civic duty, but do your spiritual duty. We got to do this together us together have been raised up. Us together have been sat down in the presence of God. 
that together we're going to move and do some amazing things. First of all, in Jerusalem, right here in Brunswick, into Cleveland, Judea, which is the next county. Maybe that's Summit. I don't know. Samaria. I like it because it sounds like some area. Some area after that. West Virginia, I don't know. Some area. And then the uttermost parts of the world. We are not here to attend and warm a four-inch seat. We are here to be trained in spiritual warfare and dynamic cultural shift by the body of Christ. That's what we're here for. And Jesus raised us up with that intent. He sat us down with that intent. He says, now rule with me in heavenly places at my right hand. I want to do that. Janet, you've been doing that. There's a lot of people in this room have been doing that. Brian, you've been doing that. Jim Pinsky, you've been doing that. Around this room, see people that have been doing it. And, and probably everyone, in one degree or another, what am I saying? There's a deeper step. We're pivoting. We're moving deeper. Instead of Jesus circling our lives like the moon does the, the earth, instead of that, he is the earth. We circled him. It's not about us. I've got dreams. I've got bucket lists. I'm going to do some fun things. But at the end of the day, it's about God. It's about my family. And, and to a degree, it is about my country. I love our country. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else on most days. But it's about him, 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 totally him. He's not a spoke in the wheel. He is the hub. And when you set your life around him, as soon as I get all these things together, then I'll, I'll be involved. I'll get involved. I'll be a part. I'll do the thing that God wants me. Let me tell you, that day never comes. You can have millions of dollars in the bank. It won't be enough. You can have the most beautiful relationship. It won't be enough. There is a void in you that is only filled by the purpose and intention of Jesus Christ himself. And so we yield ourselves fully to that. Just kind of hold your... Hands out before the Lord, palms up right now. We're just in a few moments here of receiving. We'll be out of here in just two minutes. Jay, if you could take us, just, just make sure everyone here knows Jesus, and then let's, let's go eat some chicken or something, all right?